Internet privacy is becoming more and more important these days, and using a VPN in general is the best way to ensure you've got it. And ExpressVPN has everything you'd ever want and need in a VPN, and more. I've tried other VPNs, but once I started using Express months ago, I've never looked back. ExpressVPN works on nearly every computer, tablet, and mobile device, and contains a huge network of servers, over 3,000 spanning 94 countries, with great speeds. You can use it to unblock popular online services like Netflix and Facebook, and they value your privacy more than anything. There are no activity or connection logs, and they use PWC-audited servers to confirm compliance with their privacy policy. They are just fantastic, and I could not be more happy to be partnered with them. So if you are interested in trying it out, you can go to expressvpn.com slash clancypasta, or click the link in the description for 3 months free when you order a 12-month subscription. Using my link, you get an awesome deal, and it helps me out a ton as well. Alright, so without further ado, here's the episode. Hello again, everybody. I hope you're having a good night, and welcome to another episode of Clancy Pasta. So, the first story of the night is about a story that the main character's grandfather told him every Halloween. And, uh, I really like this story. It was really fun. And, uh, it's also, I think, very relatable, because... I don't know about you guys, but I know that my grandparents had some stories that they would tell every Halloween to try to scare me when I was younger. And, uh, you know, some of them I, I still wonder about to this day. Uh, you guys should tell me in the comments if you have any experience relatable like that. But, uh, so that story is called I Investigated a Halloween Story of My Grandfather's It Was a Mistake by Rick the Intern. And the other story I'm going to be narrating tonight is called I Had the Weirdest Sleep Paralysis by Queen Valkyria, which, as you can tell by the title, is going to be about sleep paralysis, which uh, is, is a genuinely horrifying topic to most people. I've dealt with sleep paralysis a bit in my own life personally, uh, especially when I was younger, when I was like in my teenage years, uh, and every experience I had with it was absolutely terrifying. So yeah, if you like these stories, make sure to go check out the author's links in the description. Big thanks to them. And if you want to support this channel, as always, I would appreciate it if you would check out my Patreon page. And make sure to follow me on Twitter. So without further ado, please uh, give this video a like, comment down below, and enjoy the first story of the night. I investigated a Halloween story of my grandfather's It Was a Mistake. Written by Rick the Intern. My grandfather used to tell us a Halloween story when we were children. Every Halloween, we would ask him to tell it, and it became part of our family tradition for him to relay variations on that same story every year. Some of us, even the children, would try to follow his story with attempts of our own, sometimes on other topics, other times based on his. It was basically the same story each time, though he'd add in some new details and leave out others, or use different metaphors. I remember some of us children talking about the nightmares that story gave us. There was an ongoing debate among our parents about whether it would be a bad influence on us. There was one Halloween when he almost didn't tell it, but I think our family was more or less in consensus that Granddad Dothan, who was normally reticent and withdrawn, 
needed to tell that story every Halloween as much as Uncle Brent needed to be the one to carve the turkey on Thanksgiving. My grandfather is no longer alive, having passed away when I was a teenager, but recently I decided to look into this urban legend of his and try to find out whether it was his own invention or the larger communities. I found myself in hot water, as my grandfather would say. Before I get into what happened to me, I'll do a quick retelling of my grandfather's Halloween story, as much as I can recall and as close as I can get to the kind of language he would have used. This is how he'd tell it. Y'all know how the tradition of Halloween goes back to the ancients, to a time when the Celts used to dress up as animals and some such to scare away the spirits. We're talking about thousands of years ago. Since then, and probably long before, it's said that around the same time every year, the walls between this world and the others get thinner, allowing some very bad things to get into our world. Set that aside for a moment. Folks are always seeking after thrills, young folks and old, especially the young. Take skydiving, for example. That's a thing people like to do for thrills nowadays. If you got yourself a parachute and you got somebody with you, that's okay. But if you intentionally take away the parachute, then you're an ignoramus without a parachute. People like to scare themselves a lot around Halloween, and some make the mistake of taking away the parachute, so to speak. When it's at its worst, it's like they've got some kind of death wish. There was this guy I knew when I was young by the name of Caleb. Now, Caleb was around 14 at the time, but he liked to act like he was older in the wrong kind of ways. Carried around a big old pocket knife he liked to flaunt, and against our warnings, would do things like steal from a half-blind owner of a gas station, and throw firecrackers at the house of the old curmudgeon Miss Heathrow. He was one step away from being a bully. He probably would have been if not for the influence of friends like myself. Yeah, I'd call him a good friend, but we made us all nervous. He was the kind of boy that would have gotten shipped off to military school if his family could have afforded it. Ahead of one Halloween, me and my friends got our hands on this book from the library about Halloween's origins. There was some basic historical stuff in there, like how the traditions changed when they spread out from the Celts, and there was also some odd little stories and accompanying illustrations about these Halloween thrill-seekers of olden times who do things to try to entice the spirits into showing themselves. Some of those thrills looked very dangerous, even with spirits out of the picture. Like one about how on Halloween, a person might go out to the woods with a friend, have that friend tie them to a tree before leaving, and stay tied there alone throughout the night. Their thinking went that by making yourself vulnerable, the opposite of trying to scare something away, you'd entice those spirits to show themselves. Those idiots obviously cared more about seeing them bad things than they did their own safety. Even without the threat of spirits, you've got all manner of animals who can maul you or worse if you spent the night in the woods tied to a tree. We never should have let Caleb read about that. He decided he would have one of us tied to a tree that Halloween night, and we all, of course, said no. But he got Steve Hurst a part of us that night while we were getting ready to go on a hayride. Steve later said that Caleb had been waving around that knife of his and surely had gotten into his parents' liquor cabinet because his breath reeked of alcohol. Steve believed he had no choice but to comply. 
We all figured Caleb was in a particularly foul mood that night, having been rejected by his crush earlier that day about the Halloween dance. Caleb and Steve went out deep into the woods. The moon and most of the stars were sunk behind some clouds, and they only had Caleb's lighter to see by. Steve said it had been quiet out there, as if the animals themselves were lying low. Caleb picked out a tree, and Steve tied him to the trunk with some old anchor rope. Tell me the words again from that book, Caleb said. The book he was talking about wasn't the one about the origins of Halloween, but was another about ancient rituals. I don't know how Caleb got a hold of such a book, because I don't think it would have been one from the library, or that he would have owned himself. Steve told us that it was like an old journal, all handwritten and everything. Steve told him the words of the incantation, which were in another language translated to the alphabet we know, and Caleb said them again and again. Caleb only broke it up to tell Steve, You have to leave for this to work. I gotta be alone. Come back tomorrow at dawn and don't be late. After saying that, Caleb went back to his chanting. The next day, when Steve came back, there was a skeleton tied to the tree picked clean to the bone. At first, Steve was almost sure it was a prank, but he told his parents and the rest of us, and soon enough the sheriff and other authorities were there in the woods in the cold, bright light of a November 1st day. It was a human skeleton tied to that tree. The animals must have been extra hungry that night, we'd thought, but it was found by the authorities that Caleb's bones had these strange markings on them, a series of horizontal and vertical lines, like some kind of language or counting system, and they'd been etched by something sharper and more precise than the teeth or claws of animals. For a while, there was a murder investigation, and me and my friends were questioned at great length. That journal, with its incantations, had disappeared as sure as Caleb's soul had departed from this earth. Whatever happened to Caleb whether by animals or something else. When y'all go out this Halloween night, be safe. Don't pursue a thrill that ain't worth it. That was my grandfather's story, or is about as close as I can get to it. So, recently, I decided to ask around about this story to see if anyone else was telling it, starting with my family and no one would acknowledge that my grandfather ever told the story. My parents, surviving grandparents, aunts and uncles got confused when I brought it up, evasive or just plain nervous. They asked me things like, are you sure you didn't dream it? I did some calling around the community, first with friends, then friends of friends, officials and even random strangers residing in my hometown. None of them said they knew about the story, although I did get a few that just hung up on me as soon as I'd asked about it and wouldn't answer my calls after. My grandfather told that story, I'm sure of it. Year after year, until he was hospitalized, I must have been about 13 or 14 at the time, until he couldn't come to our Halloween gatherings anymore. When I called my sister and my cousins about it, they remembered Granddad Dothan telling a story or two, but couldn't recall the details. They mainly just remembered all of us sharing stories together on Halloween before we went trick-or-treating. So then I visited my hometown in person. 
I went to the only public library there and talked with the librarians about the story. By and by, I was directed to newspaper clippings from around the time of my granddad's childhood. I discovered some articles about a boy named Caleb who had died in the way described in my grandfather's story. I had been unable to find anything on the internet about this, but then again, it did happen many years ago in a small town. I was feeling very alone, scared, and confused already, but when I got back from the trip to my hometown, I found a worn leather journal lying on my bed. I opened it up to some passages about rituals and incantations. There were some renderings from a strange language. Strangest of all, though, was that it was all in my handwriting. I had the weirdest sleep paralysis, written by Queen Valkyria. I don't know if you are familiar with sleep paralysis. It is the state of sleep, normally right before waking up, when you are fully aware of everything around you, but not able to move at all. It's like your brain is woken up, but your body doesn't. In my culture, we like to refer to it as shadow pressing, which literally means there is some kind of shadow or invisible object pressing on your whole body, making you unable to move. These shadows or objects in my culture are believed to be the evil spirits that can harm or kill you if you fail to fight and regain control of your body. Usually, you win. But I have heard the story of people dying because of that, and although I highly doubt those were probably heart attacks or illnesses that killed them, I would never want to put my risk on it. That would require me to mention a bit about myself as the background of this story. Sleep paralysis to me is very common. Growing up, I have grown a strange habit of waking up realizing my body is completely unable to move. Most of the time, it's fine. I regain control after a few minutes of breathing and focusing on my limbs, but some are a bit uncommon. In one of the uncommon cases, I was paralyzed for almost five minutes, with my eyes opening widely, seeing nothing, and my mouth desperately gasping for air. My sister was there, we share a bedroom, and she was shocked. My friend, who was studying psychology and religion in a university, said were it not for my sister there, I would have died from a heart attack or the lack of oxygen to my brain. I don't remember exactly what she said. My parents found me then and brought me to the therapists and doctors and all the professionals needed, but none of them could detect my problem. They all concluded that it was due to stress and anxiety, so I need to relax. My parents also made me put a knife over my bed since then. In my culture, a knife can be used to chase away the evil spirits that haunt my sleep. I don't know if it works like that, but it did make me feel more comfortable. Four years ago, I left my family and went to Japan to study. I forgot the knife. To be honest, I have taken it for granted ever since the paralysis no longer bothered me, so I didn't think of putting a new one under my new bed in Japan. I was living in the dormitory with a lot of people around, and I was busy arranging my new life in a whole new world, so I didn't have the time to look back and think about the bad spirits, 
the evils or so. My university campus is on the top of the mountain, and the dormitory area is nearby, so basically I lived on a relatively remote place. My dorm room is on the fifth floor of the building. It looks warm and cozy, but at night, especially those foggy nights in the mountainous areas of Japan, everything can have a spooky look. But still, I was so caught up with schoolworks and homework that those spooky nights meant nothing to me. And one night, it happened. As I mentioned, my paralysis had been stable, but it didn't go away. Sometimes it came back, but wasn't serious enough for me to remember, but my memory knows when and how it takes place. So on that night, I was sleeping, when suddenly I thought I saw something outside the window. Yes, you don't get it wrong, I was sleeping one moment, and the next, bam. I didn't know how I opened my eyes or woke up, I just knew that I saw it there. My memory knew at once it was the paralysis again, but I couldn't bring myself to wake up, and I kept looking at the thing out of the window. I have quite a big imagination, and most of the time it was the fog in my imagination that made up things, but this time was different. It was too crystal clear to be a product of fog and imagination. I could tell that it was a woman's twisted face staring at me from out of my window. I lived on the fifth floor on the top of the mountain, so there was no way anyone can look into my window like that, and it was a face, like, only face. No neck, no ears, no hair or whatsoever. Just a twisted face with something in the places for two eyes, two nostrils, one mouth, and some parts that can be seen as chin and cheeks. I was scared, and I tried to fling myself up, yet I couldn't move. At this point, I was fully awake, and the face didn't go away. It didn't move either, just floating out there, staring at me while I couldn't look away. I was fully aware that I got the damn sleep paralysis again, but this time I was flooded with terrible feelings. Fear was on the top of them. Deep, dark fear, like the one a prey has when a predator chases it to a dead end. And then I heard a voice. I believe it was myself, the awakening part of me, if that makes any sense at all, trying to wake the other parts up. It was as if my instinct telling me to scream. All of my brain cells at that time were convinced that if I scream, I could get myself out of this horrible situation. So I started to let out the loudest scream in my life from the depth of my lungs. I opened my mouth, or I thought to do so. I didn't know how it happened back then, but just assumed that I planned to scream internally, only to find out, in terror, that my mouth was covered by a hand. I don't know how to word it, because technically there should have been no hand except for mine, but it did feel like something was tightened around my mouth and muffled my scream away. That thing didn't have any taste or smell, only the firm of the grip. My mind kept begging me to scream, but I couldn't. Even in the head, I couldn't scream. I also tried to move my limbs and wake up, but still, nothing worked. And then my phone rang, the phone with the roaming number I brought along with me from home. Although I have changed into my Japanese number, I still kept the old one, just in case. 
The sound brought me back to reality, and everything disappeared at once. The face, the hand grip on my mouth, everything vanished into thin air as if one second ago they weren't there at all. Realizing I was sweating and panting, I sat up and reached for my phone. It was one of my friends at home that called me. It was somewhere around 4am in Japan, so at home it must have been around 2. I hung up and used Viber to call him back and the weirdest thing happened. He told me that he was sleeping when he heard my scream in his sleep. He said that it sounded so surreal and haunting that he got worried and as the anxiety intensified, he decided to check on me directly via the phone. Even today, I still think about it, about how my friend had heard my internal scream and saved me, about he didn't even bother the international phone call only to check if someone he heard from a dream was safe, about the way we were connected. I wonder what would have happened had my friend not heard my internal scream and called me. I wonder what would happen if the sound of my phone couldn't have woken me up. I wonder where the face and hand might be from, and what they might be. However, the biggest question that I always ask myself whenever I think about that night is what might have happened if I had a knife over my head back then. Whether the face would have never appeared or the hand had found its weapon. <laughs>